0: lockdown
1: our daily podcast to keep you sane during the chaos 21 days 21 professionals plus 14 35 days
0: 35 professionals
1: to keep you sane during the lockdown extended edition hello and welcome back to day
0: 20 of lockdown and day 20 of our podcast my name is Kirsten Farquharson, and with me, the incredible Danielle Dutoy.
1: Today, we have a very adventurous guest. His name is Luke McDonald. He is part of the Phenomenal Hitched Team. With his hitch team, he has traveled 10,000 kilometers, crossed 10 countries in over 100 days by hitchhiking to the Congo. He has also hitchhiked all the way from South Africa to Ellen DeGeneres, crossing 14 countries, 28,000 kilometers, absolutely incredible. Luke, it is it is such a privilege to have you on our show today.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is officially my first Zoom, so I'm very excited.
0: Well, we're absolutely honoured to have you on our show as your first Zoom podcast. Uh, so tell us, Luke. Can you tell us a bit
2: more about your hitched adventures? We are so excited to hear about them. So basically. Um, I'm trying to think what's the best way to introduce it. I suppose well, we finished, Jordan's actually my cousin. So um, our moms are twin sisters. And uh, basically, so we always grew up together. We we both come from very adventurous families. And then uh, through some circumstances, he ended up coming and finishing his post-grad while I was still studying at UKZN. And so we finished studying at the same time. And... Um, obviously we were broke students but we kind of like really wanted to travel but we had no money so another friend of ours Robbie had finished um uni at the same time and we're kind of like let's just who, who has the least amount of money because um you know we don't want to travel with like one guy's eating burgers and the other guys eating beans the whole way so I think it was probably me who had the least amount of money which was five thousand rand so we were like let's all put aside 5,000 Rand and just see how far we can travel off that money. And what we ended up doing was just like, let's just hitchhike North as in from South Africa and see like how far we get up Africa. And we ended up getting all the way to Egypt. So like doing a Cape to Cairo, 5,000 Rand over three months. And yeah, we even had some money left for ice creams when we were <laughs> in Egypt. So after that, we were kind of like, we got home and we we're like, flip um you know like we didn't know we could do that with such a little bit of money like and we started planning our next adventure and um so george and i like i said are cousins and um we when we were about six and seven years old well he was seven i was six we um we watched this documentary that there could be the world's last dinosaur that lives in the Congo jungle and obviously like As a six-year-old, that just completely blows your mind, the fact that that might exist. And um, we're like, we always said, you know, (laughs) Flip, we have to go find that thing one day when we're old enough to, like, do it, you know. We told our parents we wanted to then. They obviously didn't take it seriously. And then after that trip, we were at first just talking about, like, oh, cool, we must do some quick odd jobs, get, like, another 5,000 Rand and just do another trip somewhere, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Basically, what that turned out to them were like, Flip, what's a better idea is we should go look for the dance. So we always said we we're going to look for. And, yeah, we were actually just chatting about it one evening on the veranda, and through a long train of events, somebody had moved below us, like, on the property we were staying. And he had just started up a film company. And when he heard us talking about doing this trip and for such a little bit of money... He was kind of like, oh, this is a good in for potentially starting uh, like some kind of a film project with it. And he just said, "If you guys want to make a film about what you're going to do? And we we're like, yeah, cool. No, we don't really know much about that. And then, um, yeah, from there, it just escalated into like, let me find someone to go with you. And we approached a whole bunch of filmmakers. And they were just like, this is a stupid plan. Like we're not in, you know, and about... 10 tries later, we landed up with this guy. Well, then he was just, we had never met him, Don. Now we're obviously good friends. And he (laughs) yeah, he just said yes after one phone call to the point where we had to call him back afterwards and just be like, I don't know if we explained it that clearly, but like, this is the plan. And um, yeah, and he said yes. And we basically set off on this thing of like, not ever really knowing if we'll get there and just filming along the way. We had no idea what we were doing. We had never done anything on camera before and stuff. And when we came back, I mean, we thought we were gonna have like a 15 minute documentary and we just had all all this, because it took so long, it took about a hundred and something days. We just had all this footage that we started editing and that became our first nine part documentary called Hitched Congo. So that's the very long answer to your question.
1: Amazing. Sure, you are both so resilient. Well, everyone on your Hitch team you know is really really resilient what helps you cope along the way, especially you know needing to overcome so many obstacles
2: yeah I think um, it's a it's a tricky thing because like it's such a different way of life to what you live on a usual day to day basis you know all the things you do and like suddenly your whole world almost just shrinks to this thing of like uh, you've got this long uh, sort of destination or thing in mind but the truth is is like you can never tackle it like that you know you can't every day you don't wake up thinking like we're trying to get to the congo jungle we're mm-hmm. trying to get to the congo jungle because that that in itself is like a joke when you're only in peter maritzburg you know what i mean from derb so like it's you treat it as in like that thing of like eating an elephant you know like just a little bit at a time where you kind of break this long journey up into these sort of, uh, I suppose, more manageable things, you know? So I think in, in terms of the resilience, is like you, you suddenly shrink everything down to like a very day-to-day, like, okay, well, if today we can just get 40 kilometers, you know, we're 40 kilometers closer to the end type of thing. So um, I think between that and then also just being content where you just like, it's guaranteed that things are going to go wrong. It's guaranteed that um, you're going to take bad routes. It's guaranteed you're going to get into tricky situations. And obviously, as a team, <laughs> that's the one difficult thing is, is, like when you add a fork in a road, either literally or figuratively, where there's two options, you kind of like, once a decision is made, even if you weren't the one that made the decision, we always say like, your yeses—you—you you were still part of that decision, you know what I mean. And when things do go wrong, I think part of that resilience is just being like, that's no one's fault, you know what I mean? Like it's just part and parcel of what's happening, you know. And um, yeah, and then also just enjoying things, you know. Like the biggest thing for me about probably to answer the the question specific to resilience is that nothing is ever completely lasting, you know everything passes you know so be it a horrible meal where you're like i don't want to eat this tortoise like i haven't grown up eating tortoise you know (laughs) like i'm not stoked on this little tortoise leg like just swallow the thing and it'll be over you know or like you get on a truck and you're hanging on the back of a truck and your body is so sore because it's not like nice roads it's think roads with like potholes that take three hours to get out of you know or um yeah, you're just hanging on the edge of a bus and you're like you're getting bashed around, and you think, I can only take this for five minutes. And then five hours later, there you are still sitting, getting clapped around, and your internal organs feel like they're about to explode. Or it's at that even if that lift takes 13 hours, it will eventually end, or a terrible night's sleep, you will wake up and the night will be over. So, just remembering that, I think everything is not forever you know it gets you through a lot of things
0: sure. that is such an that is such an incredible inspiring image uh you and your cousin sitting on a bus being bashed around your internal <laughs> organs being bashed around I mean, i'm not gonna lie your your adventures provide so much entertainment they are hysterically funny for the most part i mean i'm how- glad you
2: guys think it's funny <laughs> <laughs>
0: Really? (laughs) (laughs) How? how, I mean, how do you use humor? Do you think as a coping mechanism?
2: Um, I think we obviously one of the main reasons is that like we were born that way, you know. Like we don't take a lot of things seriously, you know. And I think that in itself gives you a a kind of a decent sense of resilience because you have the ability to sort of like laugh at things even when they are horrible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the difficulties of that Is is that like when you are in countries Like travelling through countries That are going through civil war or whatever It's difficult because You don't want to ever portray that um, As like romanticising that situation You know what I mean Or making light of those things But at the same time that's so often when you encounter humans With such incredible resilience And, and so often There is such great cultures of of uh, sort of humor when you cross that because because life is difficult people have to make the most of difficult situations you know and I think part of that enjoying the day to day and celebrating the small things a great deal of that comes down to humor and and just being able to have fun when things aren't fun you know and um, I mean obviously it's cool for us also because We've literally grown up together and Don joining into the team was obviously like a strange thing because suddenly you've got this person you don't know from a bar of soap and you're now stuck with them for a hundred days and it's it's not like a hundred days as then you go into work to see the person. It's like every single thing you do, you do together, you know. Like I don't think on those trips we've had much more than like half an hour apart from each other, you know, it's like literally a hundred days of 24-7, you're with that person. So I think it's all those type of things is to just have fun and enjoy people for, for who they are because so often their faults are also their biggest strengths, you know, or your biggest weaknesses. Like, those type of things is to just... Humor allows you to see the positive sides of things, you know, like, instead of letting that character trait get on your nerves, you turn it into a joke, you know, like... Um, I, I think... Yeah, that's um, gets you through a lot, I suppose.
1: That's amazing. I know last year when you guys were hitchhiking to Ellen, I loved following along on social media. Your "Hey Ellen" videos really made my day. They were <laughs> so incredibly funny, and yeah, it was absolutely amazing seeing you guys embark on this epic adventure and you know get to the other side. What What would you say your favorite story? from
2: hitchhiking across the globe is oh that's that's tricky um <laughs> i think um i don't know I, it, it probably wouldn't be the type of thing that even like uh, you're able to really ex- explain to people like i mean there's like things ridiculous things like when you're so overtired is you know when stuff becomes funny or like uh like, uh, or actually, well, actually, this is quite funny. Yeah, this was one of my favorite memories is that uh, we had just crossed into Kenya and we were so tired. I had fallen off a cliff and I was cut up and Jordan had been sick, I think. And, like, it was one of those, like, where you've crossed the border, like, late in the evening. You don't know where you're going or whatever. And um, <laughs> it was, like, late evening, just getting dark. And Donovan was like, guys, let's go camp over there and we could see that it was like a riverbed but it was so clear that the skies were so clear that we're like hey don that is in the middle of a riverbed he's like yeah but it's nice and green it's such a beautiful shot you know and we set up this (laughs) we set up our tent and um in the middle of the night when i say (laughs) the heavens opened i mean like the heavens opened and within the space of about two hours we we were literally floating and like the whole tent just like kind of lifted off the ground. But I think it was just this funny thing of Don wanting a beautiful photo, uh, one beautiful shot for the documentary turned into a night of absolute mayhem. Everything got wet and flooded. And um, yeah, it's like one, one, one shot, but you could have like one minute, you know, ended with three days of wet clothes and oh, it was just, terrible but yeah those are those things you have to have a sense of humor about so that was a good night in retrospect it wasn't fun while we did it but it was (laughs) it was fun the next day that's that's funny I,
0: I, I can't even imagine doing that I I mean to keep your sense of humor for that long and in those circumstances is just amazing I'm I'm most curious to know what was it like to hitchhike to Ellen what was it like to actually make it to Ellen
2: Um, well, I think like, um, obviously we, we kind of started as, as a joke, you know, like we, we just decided like, um, like let's just, after going to look for the dinosaur, we kind of had this thing of like, well, how do you choose another mission? That's like, maybe, maybe just possible, but like also most likely impossible, you know? And we came up with this funny joke of like, let's quite literally take our series to Hollywood. And like, so instead of trying to send it to producers, like let's quite literally in a hard drive, take that series to Hollywood. And the joke was that we would try to sell it there. And then we got people to vote to say like, well, which celebrity should we find to help us sell it? And uh, Ellen DeGeneres won that joke. But obviously when you leave, it's like, this is indie filmmaking. It's not like we don't have this huge budget, all this um, producers that are calling ahead. And it's like quite literally when we walk out the door, it's the three of us and with whatever we have on our backs for the next however long it takes you to get there type of thing. There's no script, there's nothing like that. Obviously, we try to think of creative things to do along the way. And we're sitting down, in, down and saying, Have we said to the camera like all the things we're doing doesn't make sense? But as far as what's actually happening, it is what it is, you know. And so I, I think leaving, you don't. You kind of just think to yourself, like, I don't actually know if we'll get there, you know? So, you're more just enjoying the journey. And then, suddenly, when you get to Russia, and, like, it's just on the other side of the sea, essentially, which is still massive. But, like, you suddenly, like, oh, flip, you know? (laughs) We might actually get there. And then, you get into America. And then, you're like, yes, we're in Helen's country, you know? Then, you get to LA. Like, we're in a city. And then, yeah, we just... Seated literally for a week or so, maybe two weeks to just go and walk around the Ellen Studios and stuff like that. And then eventually from everyone tagging her, one of her producers or like lower level producers actually called us and said, hey, I heard about your story. Why don't you come on the show in the audience? And so, yeah, we got the tickets to a show. And I mean, it's difficult because like you, sh- you can't shoot any of it, you know. Uh, cameras are banned in the studio but she actually came to us in one of the commercial type of break things and said hey I heard about you guys hitching all the way yeah I don't quite understand why you did it or anything but I think it's quite funny you know and (laughs) and that was kind of it you know it wasn't really the right time to be like hey you know well we made you a documentary and stuff so it was cool um uh, Donovan swears that she wears Calvin Klein deodorant I'm not a perfume man, so I didn't recognize it. But that's what Don got out of his hug, and yeah, oh, I don't know. So it was it was pretty cool. It was kind of surreal. Like on one level, you don't leave actually thinking you are going to meet her, but then at the same time, like it was super, I think, fun the way like South Africa. We didn't expect South Africans to get behind it as much as they did, and that was what was cool. Is like it was the Countries' help you know with all the tagging and stuff that got us on the well got us allowed us to meet her so it was a pretty fun yeah it was a pretty fun end to everything you know like to actually get there and we probably thought we were gonna to have to turn around in Russia but it, luck was on our side.
1: Sure I think it's it's really special like you said seeing how many South Africans were behind you I mean you guys are real South African heroes and it, it was really special seeing you guys travel across the world not giving up facing all of these obstacles, you know, making everyone laugh. It's it was something that I think really brought the country together and just seeing so many people backing you, spamming generous producers and things like that on social media, it was really special. Um Luke, what what sort of piece of take home advice would you want to leave listeners with during during the
2: lockdown? Um you know I think like just off the back of what you're saying, with like people getting behind it and stuff like that, is is that, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like, I think we were so we've always said that like, uh, this this whole thing of us trying to tell these stories and doing film just came out of the simplicity for us of like, when we travelled, like, we just it was the most we've ever learned in our lives. You know, when I think about like, for us, we did that solo traveling, like, so not with your family and stuff like that. Your first own sort of like version of how you want to travel and stuff was when we had just left university. And when I think about that three months on the road, I think I learned way more than I ever did or in my version of what a degree I felt gave me and that kind of stuff and so, I think like that was how we got into this whole thing of like when the opportunity came to make film, we kind of wanted to share that, like not everyone has the privilege of traveling, but through decisions we had made in our lives that came along and we were like, we want to share that with people. We want to somehow through a camera and it's very limited, but give a little glimpse into different worlds, different peoples. And, and, and for us, that was always our biggest learning. And we've always said that I think one of the biggest assumptions you can make um is is that your normal or your way of life is normal if that makes sense um just because that's the way you've grown up and and the truth is is if you get well if if that normal then starts to lead to you thinking that that's right i don't know if that if it makes sense what i'm saying but if you just think your normal is right it suddenly becomes a very limited way of seeing the world. And I think that's what leads to so much hatred and bigotry and all those kind of things, which are such crutches for humanity. So being outside of your own comfort zones, traveling and stuff like that, it's, it forces you to one, relinquish what you think is normal, what you think is right. And to see the world in a completely different way. And the whole way it's this constant learning of like, Oh, this people group does that differently. Like, yeah, people live like this. Yeah, this is how a family looks. Over here, this is how marriage looks, or whatever it is. All those things, you're constantly like a trade, you know, where you're learning from different people. And so, uh, our thing is was just to be, to encourage people. And even in this lockdown, just like, it's, it's time to think and time to, I suppose, learn and just, um, yeah, you can change the way you think about things, change the way you see things, and not to, to hold on to, for lack of a better term, your version of things being right all the time. And, um, yeah, I think when you uh, when you take a sort of stance of, I mean, I wouldn't call it humility, but just willingness to learn, you know what I mean? Suddenly, um, yeah, I think you, you can change for the better sooner than you think you will, you know? and um, I think that's why I always encourage people to travel in whatever way possible to go into different scenarios and yeah, just different ways of doing things and, and let, don't be afraid to be challenged. Don't be afraid of things that are uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Because that's, it's in turbulent spaces where you usually get to learn and grow. So I think that would be my two cents on things.
0: That's a very valuable two cents, I think. I think that's a full two rand there. Definitely a silver coin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: At least a silver coin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Luke. Um, you are an incredibly wise guy. Your travels have given you a lot of wisdom, I think, um, if anything. Um, I agree with you 100%. And I have to ask, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but if you were to go back to any country, which country would it be?
2: Oh, um. Well, firstly, let me say thank you so much for having me. It's been really cool chatting to you guys. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's tricky, but I think for me, um, my favorite country is Sudan for many reasons. Um, One, I've just never been to such a hospitable country. Um, And just, it's very different to to what you used to. And I think, um, yeah, people there are just like so friendly and, and, I think one of the biggest things about it is it's so different to how it's portrayed in what you would read about it or find in the media or, or those type of spaces, you know what I mean? Where, where you would find information on a country and you go there and obviously this last trip, we actually happened to go through there literally a couple of days after that whole uh, Sudan massacre had happened. And was it, oh, wow. it was quite incredible to just see like, Again, not to make light of what happened, but um to just see like that thing of human resilience in it and just how incredibly generous and hospitable people were in that time was just challenging, you know, and like that, yeah that's one of it's just and like then going outside of Khartoum, which was the problem areas, just in terms of traveling and seeing stuff it's a it's a just a totally different country, obviously the deserts and all that kind of stuff is. Yo, it's just so, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And yeah it's, yeah, it's just a very interesting place to go visit. So I think um, that would probably be my number one pick. Eh?
1: Sure. I think, Luke, like Kirst said, you are incredibly, incredibly wise. And it's a real privilege to have you on the show. We really respect you. We respect your sense of resilience, your, hum- your humor, as well as your humility. I think, you know, that's something that really, really stands out. And, you know, having a South African hero like, like you and on the show is something that's, that's really awesome to us. So we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your sense of wisdom and the importance of humor and resilience with us. And, you know, for anyone listening that wants to get hold of you guys or to, to watch your documentary, the listeners can look at that on www.hseries.co.za.
2: Uh, Thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So that's it for us. We will see you next time on How to Mental Health Lockdown Edition. Stay sane, everybody. We'll check in later. See you
1: soon.